You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning. A very important passage of scripture. In 1 Samuel 8, we start to see the transition of the children of Israel going from a theocracy where God ruled to a monarchy where they ask for a king. And it will set us up then to be introduced to Samuel, David, and Solomon, the three kings under a united Israel. <clears throat> and after that, of course, the, the kingdom is split between the north and the south. But here's the beginning of that in First Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was uh, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Let me just touch base on this again. I know we mentioned this last week, but again, just reading that portion of Scripture and seeing the failure of Samuel, not as a prophet, but as a father, and, and then to notice in Scripture that this is not uncommon. Just before Samuel, you had Eli who lost his sons, who were perverted, who perverted the worship of God. You have here Samuel who knew better and loses his sons. And then later we'll have David, a man after God's own heart. His children have no idea. Listen to me, I, I will say it again, and it's of the utmost importance. Parents, Grandparents, your first ministry is your children, your grandchildren. I've seen this happen too often where, where we have fathers and mothers and moms and dads who want to be cool and accepted and have everyone love them outside of their family. I'm aware of fathers who will play with everyone else's kids and be the nicest guy in the world. But when they're with their own children, they neglect them. Can, can I ask you a question, parents and grandparents and, and leaders of homes? What does it matter this morning if everybody in the whole world thinks that you're the greatest father, the greatest husband, the greatest wife, the greatest parent, and your kids disregard everything you say and believe you to be a hypocrite? What have you won? You have won nothing, and I submit to you, you have lost everything. We must get back to taking care of our families. That is our ministry. That's where it begins. Do you know that your marriage, if you're married here this morning, your marriage is not just about you? God uses your marriage as a reflection to the world of what the relationship of Christ and His church should look like. That's convicting. Husbands, are you loving your wife like Christ loved His church and gave Himself for her? Wives, are you submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord like the church submits to the head, Jesus Christ? When people see your marriage, do they know that, hey, listen, 
I'm not sure about much of Christianity, but those people love each other. It certainly is a good reflection of what marriage ought to be with your children. Hey, can I tell you something? All kids are bad. All of them. Mine included. I've I've raised three sinners because I am a sinner. I'm not talking about perfection here. Our kids know. But listen, it ought to be that in our homes, they know that the gospel is real, that you're not a hypocrite, that what you say and the plastic smile that you have in church is not plastic, but it's real. There is something inside of you that you love the Lord and you're searching to please Him and live for Him. And we are losing our children. It's not because of the world. It's because of our churches and our homes. And I'm fearful this morning that as we second generation believers are raising a third generation of Christians, that the time that they're 18 will want nothing to do with your faith and your gospel and your religion. And that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the fact is, you can't give them anything that you don't have yourself. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we, we hear the great Shammah, where it says, O Lord, you know, our Lord or God is one Lord. It goes on to talk about worshiping Him and, and how parents are to take um, the Word of God and impart it to their children, teach it to them when they're sitting down at the table, when they're walking in the way, whatever they're doing. But before it says that, it says, And this Word, which is in your heart, you can't give them anything you don't have. And we see the failure of Samuel here. Oh, he had a ministry. He lost his family. Church of Jesus Christ, wake up. I'm not living for just today and self. I'm living because I want my sons to know Christ and love him. And not only that, can I be honest with you? I want their children to know Christ and to love him. I'm talking this morning about a legacy, a real legacy of believers in Christ who aren't hypocrites, who aren't Pharisees, who struggle and falter and fail, and yet they love God, they love Christ, and things are happening in their lives. You want to impact the world? Start with your kids. And shoot them out like arrows that God can use. It's disappointing, man. You read this text and it's like, Samuel, you had a ministry. You lost your boys. Verse number four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel in Ramah and said unto him, Behold, you're old and your sons are bad. They're really bad. And we don't want them. I know I'm adding there, but I'm telling you, that's what they're saying, okay? That's exactly what's happening there. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. 
And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And this is interesting, right? Because they say, we don't want what you have, Samuel. We want a king like everyone else. Now, it's important to realize, this was permissible. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, God already has given them the details for what a king would look like. A matter of fact, all throughout Scripture, there's, there's this theme of a king. We start from Abraham. And God promised Abraham that out of his loins would come kings to rule. We go through the book of Judges, and in the book of Judges, the theme that continually comes up is, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And the point is, we've got to quit doing this. We need someone who's righteous to rule over us. We need a king. We come to the end of Ruth, and we get a glimpse of what God is doing when we hear that Ruth's great-grandchild, his name is David. And so the problem is not wanting a king. That was permissible. The problem was their motive. In the past, they, when they were in trouble, they called on the Lord. They looked for his deliverance. Now they're in trouble. They don't want the Lord. They just demanded a king. And in essence, they were rejecting him. Up to this point, the absence of a king showed the world the presence of God. For Israel, oh, we don't have a king. We have God. It was a tremendous testimony for them. And so they say, Samuel, we don't want this. And God says, listen, listen to what they're saying. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Verse 8, but I want you to tell them, verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore, hearken unto their voice, howbeit, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He says, this, I want you to know what you're getting into now. This is what you want. Here's what's going to happen. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and, shall, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them up to, to air his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, or perfume makers, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive Yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your manservants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king which ye shall have chosen you and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Let me ask you a question. Samuel lays it out here. You want a king? That's fine. Here's the deal. This is what you get. What he just said, a good deal or a bad deal? Bad. Unless you like a lot of taxes and people taking your kids and your stuff. Maybe some of you like to take your kids, but that's still a bad deal. Okay, it's a bad deal. He said, what you want is not a good thing. 
It's a no-brainer, actually. Look at verse number 19. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, nay, nay. Sounds like a, nay. But we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Can I ask you something? Didn't they have someone doing that already? Yeah, who was it? God. God was already doing that. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man into his own city. The word of God certainly reveals to us the character of God. It tells us who God is and what he expects. Uh, But the word of God also does something else. It reveals the character of God's people. There's a movement now, and I think it's right and accurate, that says when we look at the Old Testament, we need to see Christ in the Old Testament. Don't just moralize the Old Testament. It's a big bigger picture than that. The meta-narrative is so much huger than that, from fall to uh, redemption to consummation, and that's all a good thing. And they say, listen, be careful. When you tell a Bible story in the Old Testament, don't just say, you know, be faithful because Daniel was faithful, or be courageous because David was courageous, or build a boat because Noah built a boat, all right? Don't just use it like that, but show Christ. And, And there's a sense that's true. But there's another sense that Paul tells us that the Old Testament was given to us to see the examples of God's people and things that we should not do. There were warnings. And so I want to just look at chapter 8 this morning and get a glimpse of God's people. And I want you to see that, unfortunately, God's people are the same today as they were some 3,000 years ago. I want you to notice first and foremost that they wanted a substitute. They want a substitute. It's not as if they didn't have what they were asking for. They did. It was God. But they didn't want that. They wanted something else. They wanted a substitute. I might date myself this morning, but there used to be a commercial when I was a kid, and it said, um, ain't, um, ain't nothing like the real thing. Do you remember that? Was that Coke? It was Coke. How many folks remember that? Ain't nothing like the real thing. How many folks have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, all right. My, we have a young and immature church, all right? Uh, it was a long time ago. I don't even know when it was, but a long time ago, maybe the 70s, maybe. 60s? No way. I was just a child in the 60s. No, it wasn't the 60s. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. Ain't nothing like the real thing. And here's the deal. God's people had the real thing. They had it all. And yet it wasn't good enough for them. They wanted a substitute. They wanted something tangible. They wanted something they could put their hands on. We want a king that we can see and touch and go out before us like everybody else has. We want a substitute. How easy it is for us today to to misplace our trust. And we look for a... It's it's like our default setting. 
I have God, but I don't want him. I, what I really need right now is a king. I have God right now, but I don't, I don't really want him. What I need right now is, but I really need a loan. I really need better credit. I really need some stuff right now. I need some things. I need some acceptance. And we are prone to do the exact same thing. We are prone to substitute the one true and only God for some cheap imitation that can never satisfy. And Samuel warns them against it, and they don't want to hear it. Listen to me. We have the real thing this morning. You need nothing else. And what we have lost is the glory of what we do have. We have the unsearchable riches of Christ. And just so that you know, those who are heirs with Christ, we are his children, we are joint heirs with him, that means that everything that Christ has and will get is ours. Is ours. And and I encourage you this morning, don't fall for the cheap substitute. We have the real thing the real thing. And when we see Christ for who he is this morning, we can worship Christ and his power and it can protect us from all those cheap substitutes and idols in our hearts because when we see him for who he is, all those other things pale in comparison. When we exalt Christ and see him, the things of this world grow strangely dim at the light of his glory and grace. And so this morning, understand We are just like them. We have this human nature that we're prone to substitute the real thing for a cheap imitation. Don't do that this morning. It will never end well. Never. You'll see it in this portion of Scripture. You'll see it throughout your life. When you take something other than God as your substitute for comfort, acceptance, or worth, it will always fail miserably. It is not what it appears to be. And secondly, this morning, I want you to see this. Not only do they substitute or wanted to substitute God for a physical king. But number two, they would rather blend in like everyone else. Here was their idea. Samuel, make us a king, because we want to look like everyone else around us. They all have kings. Now here's the problem with that. The problem is, by nature, they were not like everyone around them. Remember, we're talking about Israel, God's chosen people. Is there another nation on the planet that began with God calling out a pagan from a pagan land and saying, Follow me, and I will give you a city and maker, a city and, and a city and, how's that go? A city and Hebrews chapter 11. A city and what? A maker that's not, okay, whatever that, how that goes. What? Okay, whatever it is, he promised it, and and Abraham understood it when he said it, all right? I'm going to give you a city that I'm the builder, I'm the maker, I'm the founder. And Abraham gets up and goes. What other nation had that? What other nation in the world began with a miraculous conception? Honestly, Abraham is a child, he's 100 years old. His wife is probably 90. And Isaac is born, whose name means laughter. Unbelievable. What other nation did God bring out of Egypt with a strong arm that he completely by himself destroyed all of the 
false images of Egypt. What other nation had God lead them through a pillar of fire and smoke? What other nation watched as God went before them and split the Red Sea and two million people walked on dry land? What other nation had God himself intervene in their history and deliver them time and time again? Intrinsically, they were completely different. And yet they still wanted to blend in. Can I say something to you this morning? As believers today, as Christians, we are intrinsically different. I'm not talking this morning about well, we're better than everybody else. No, what I'm saying this morning is this. We're all sinners, but there's a difference. There are sinners who are lost, and there are sinners who are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And by that alone, we are completely different. We are chosen by God. We have a miraculous birth. The Spirit of God dwells within the life of every believer, those who call upon His name. We are saved from eternal judgment and wrath. And the Spirit of God lives within us. Christian friend this morning, listen to me. You are not like the world. You are different than the world. You cannot blend in. You and I are not that. And in our hearts, we want to be accepted. We want to fit in. We want to look and act and talk like the world. And it's problematic because that's not what you are. There was a, uh, an illustration given this week. You know, Dan and I and Anson were gone at a pastor's conference. Thank you for allowing us to go. It was a great time. Uh, learned lots of helpful things. But during the, com- the conference, one of the speakers gave this illustration from David Platt in his book, Follow Me. And he says this, If I invited you out to lunch... And uh, you met at the restaurant, and I was, you know, it was 10 minutes gone by, wasn't there. 15 minutes gone by, wasn't there. 20 minutes, I still didn't show up. But after 30 minutes, I ran into the restaurant, huffing and puffing. Said, huh, I'm sorry I'm late. You won't believe what happened to me. Um, I was on my way here, and my car got a flat tire. And, and when I got out of the car to walk around the car to change the tire, I was hit by a Mack truck going 70 miles an hour. And it hurt a lot. But I'm okay, I shook myself off, I drove over here, and now I'm here for lunch. If you were to hear that, you would think one of two things. Either I am um, a deliberate liar, or I am insane. Right? Why? Because anyone who gets hit by a truck going 70 miles an hour looks completely different than he did before. Right? Right? Absolutely. Platt goes on to say this. In light of this, I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground in assuming that once people truly come face to face with Jesus, the God of the universe in the flesh, and Jesus reaches down into the depth of their hearts, saves their souls from the clutches of sin, and transforms their lives to follow him, they are going to look different. Very different. People who claim to be Christians while their lives look no different from the rest of the world are clearly not Christians. We want to be like them. Here's a problem. You're not. And anyone who's been hit with the Mack truck of Jesus Christ, and I mean he reached down and he, 
I'm not talking about you said a prayer. I'm talking he saved you. He transformed you. <laughs> You're different, man. You're to be different. We are not that. And isn't that what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Let me read for you verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, not revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And, listen to this, such were some of you, but... You are washed, but you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. What's he saying? This used to be who we are. We are not that anymore. And when we have this idea that we can just blend into the world, you are forgetting who you are. You have been saved to be transformed by the Word of God and His Spirit. Here's what the Word of God does. It takes the lusting man... And makes him pure. It takes the woman who is fearful and makes her courageous. It takes the man who is a thief and now he becomes a giver to meet the needs of others. It takes the woman who is demanding and now she becomes a servant of all. It takes the man who is angry and out of control and it turns him into a peacemaker. It takes the complainer He's got something wrong with everything and makes him thankful. It takes the idolater and makes them one who truly worships God in spirit and in truth. That's who we are. And should it not be, if that's who we are, that we should be the ones who show integrity in our lives? And I'm talking now outside of this building. I'm talking in our homes, our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our gatherings. Should we not be the ones who are faithful in our marriages? Should we not be the ones who are chaste and pure before we are married and we flee all sexual sins? Should we not be the ones who trumpet justice for those who are helpless? Should we not be the ones who have love and compassion for those who are neglected and ignored in our society? Should we not be the ones who have passion for worship and don't get wrapped up in cheap entertainment? You see, the children of Israel said, we want to be like them. Here's the problem. You are not them. And again, this is not to put you on some pedestal. We are sinners saved by grace, but because we are saved by Jesus Christ, He has done something new in our hearts and lives. The Spirit of God dwells within us. We are not them. So, quit trying to be. Quit trying to be. You, if you want to blend into the world, and I, and I understand the allurement to that and how it's easier to do that, but the truth is, it's like taking a square peg and pounding into a round hole. It does not work. So stop. Be who you are. You're a child of God. You're a son or daughter of God. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are made free. You are sanctified. You will be glorified. You are a child of the King. 
And so we are to be who we are. Christ who is our life. Christ and our life, the hope of glory. It should be a natural outflow for us. It's not something we put on. It's who we are. It should flow out of our lives as we're exposed to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. That old man, that old woman, that old nature should be being transformed. Be who you are. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't try to fit in. We don't fit in. We won't fit in. If you follow the Word of God, you can't fit in. God has called His people to be salt and light. And salt engages. We are in this world. We are not of this world. We're here. We engage our society. We engage our communities. We interact with them because we're salt. We preserve. We add taste to this world. We bring good things. But we're also light. And light is very distinct from darkness. Very distinct. And so this morning as we look at the children of Israel, Samuel, make us a king. We want to be just like them. Listen to me. We are prone to fall into the same traps. We are prone to look for substitutes other than God because we brought God down to some level where he's not high and lifted up like he ought to be. And we are prone to forget who we are and want to live like this world. My friend this morning, can I ask you a question? Are you ashamed of Christ? Now you say, sitting in church, the confines of this building, of course not. I'm a Christian. I mean, I even brought my Bible to church this morning. Didn't you see me come with my Bible? I am certainly not ashamed of Jesus Christ. But I wonder when we walk out of this place and we get back to the world, for all of us, there is this sense we want to fit. Who wants to not fit in? An oddball doesn't want to fit in. A nutcake who just wants attention doesn't want to fit in. We all want to fit in. We, we, we wrestle with those things. But I'm afraid for too many of us, we're ashamed of our Christ. We're ashamed of what he's done for us. And we're silent. And we have not been salt and light. Because we just want a king like everybody else. I'm sorry, King Jesus is not like everybody else. Because he's God. And he's eternal. And one day he will rule and reign on this planet and make all things new. And so let me encourage you to examine your own heart and life. And the reason I say those things is because I've I got to go to those challenges. Yesterday we, went out, we had our, we had our um, evangelism outreach where we go out and some people came and they passed out tracts and others wanted to go out and they wanted to talk to people on the street. Can I tell you something about that? I personally don't like that. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I don't, I don't like that. And then I had to, when I went out yesterday, I had to say to myself, Rick, why is it that you, you don't like this? Oh, it's just not for me, or it's my personality, or whatever. And I had to ask myself, is it because I'm ashamed of Jesus Christ? Is it because this is my community, and they see me, and they know me? They know my kids, and know my family? I do some soul searching. What, what, what's this about? And for too many of us, we are very, com- I'm not saying, okay, go out this afternoon and just go on the street and start, I'm not saying that, all right? If you want to do that, that's fine. But for too many of us, we're very comfortable in here. When we get outside of this building, we want to blend in as not to be noticed. But I'm telling you something. When God starts to do work in our lives and changes us, you're going to be noticed. 
It's not a bad thing because it brings glory to him. And so this morning, let me just leave you with this. Don't look for a substitute. You, you got the real thing. Don't do that. If your love for Christ has grown cold, I would say to you, you're not in the word. You're not seeing him. You're not remembering what he's done for you. Get back there. And then for all of us, listen, don't try to blend in. That's not who you are. You're not that anymore. You've been made new. So live like the person you are this morning. Let's have a word of prayer.